0: welcome to episode 17 of the Waters Wavelength podcast. My name is Dan Francesco. I am the deputy editor of Cellside Technology, and I am joined in the flesh, finally, in the flesh, finally here in the yep. flesh by my co-host Anthony Maliki in the Waters Technology U.S. editor. Anthony, how the hell
1: are you? I'm great. Good to be back and uh, good to see you. Well, I was back last week, but you know, good to have uh, our reu- you know reunited and it feels so good. It's, it's, you know, ships passing
0: in the night. It's been tough. I, I miss your musk. I miss your scent. I miss sitting in the same room as you and talking fintech. Um, but it's great. We're back. We're back at it uh, after a couple weeks, you know, with, not so great audio quality and doing over the phone. We're finally back together, you know, talking fintech, talking fun stuff.
1: I don't know if the audio quality is still going to be all that great, but, you know, it's it's, it's as good as it's going to get. So
0: Yeah, exactly. It's as good as it's going to get. That's a great way to put it. And... That'll, that's a great way to get into our first topic, as good as it's gonna get, because uh, I want to talk about SifMops 2016, a panel I went on. I know we talked in depth about it last week, but specifically, I believe this story—the story did go up. It went up Monday, so it went up after our podcast. But it's in regards to a panel with uh, Stephen Luparello from the SEC. He's the director of Division of Trading and Markets, and essentially, what it boils down to—I want to I wanna give you a quick summary—and then Anthony and I'll talk about this—is that uh, he had a fireside chat with Ira uh, Hammerman, who is the Executive Vice President General Counsel for SIFMA. And the first question Ira asked, and credit to him for kind of getting right at him, was, you know, do regulators ever consider relator- regulatory fatigue or overload? And basically, you know, to put it bluntly, Luperol said, sorry, not sorry. (laughs) He basically said, yeah, we think about it, but we have a huge mandate that we need to get through. And it kind of took me back. And that's why I wrote an opinion piece, just how, you know, I feel like there needs to be a better balance between, you know, making sure you get your mandate out and also understanding the impact it's going to have on the greater market. I wrote, you know, 600, 700 words on the topic that you can read. Anthony, I'm interested to hear what, what you have to say on the topic.
1: Well, You know, I guess that one of the interesting – so I decided to go back. Uh, There's this um, law firm called uh, Davis Polk, and they put out a Dodd-Frank progress report after each quarter. Um, I don't think they have their first quarter 2016 report, but they had – at the end of uh, 2015, they put out a report of just where we stand with um, Dodd-Frank and everything. And so at the end of the year – There were a total of 390 total rulemaking requirements uh, stemming from Dodd-Frank. 267 of those requirements, so 68%, have been met with finalized rules and rules have been proposed that would meet another 40. So basically, you're looking at about 78% of the rules from Dodd-Frank have already been finalized or at least have been proposed and they're just about there what really jumped out to me was that rules that have not yet been proposed to to meet there were 83 let me put it, there are 83 rules out there that uh did not meet the deadline for the rulemaking requirements <laughs> um <laughs> you know just look at it, it it's kind of incredible so you're so you basically you're trying to you know, he's. You have all these firms that are complaining about the wave and wave of regulation. It's not just Dodd Frank; it's MiFID too. is going to be an earth shattering event for firms Absolutely. all over the mm-hmm. globe. So, you know, you have these kind of things, and it's like, how do you really go about, you know, preparing for it? You know, because you have like kind of rules, like, um, you know, Dodd Frank said that you were supposed to get rid of credit. Basically, you were supposed to get rid of credit agencies um, that they shouldn't be using those anymore. They haven't gotten about that yet. And how are you supposed to go about it? How are you supposed to create that? What are you supposed to use? Still trying to figure these things out. So we're years into this. And we're still, years. yeah. And the funny thing is that, you know, the chances of, I, I just can't believe that Donald Trump will ever be elected president of America. I I really hope that, you know, I'm, I'm a Republican and I really hope that that does not happen. Um, but let's say he does come in there. He's saying, you know, we're going to strip Dodd-Frank. We are going to go in there with an axe and just get rid of Dodd-Frank. So I just – I, I it's, it's a great idea to say to stagger this out, but it really just seems like the regulators around the Goldberg is going, no, we have this opening to really go heavy regulation, to really put in oversight that maybe should have been there. You know, for decades before that had been through a period of deregulation that we've been stripping down uh, the laws. So now they're just really flooding everything on it. And the markets are becoming more electronic and becoming more complex and more intertangled with each other. So, you know, it, I just I <laughs> it, it just kind of made me laugh. And the other thing about, you know, I thought it was a good piece uh, It was by far our most read piece um, getting a ton of clicks. Um, people want to read it. But so the guy Stephen Luparella. I was interested in him a little bit, so I went and did a little bit of research on him. So he worked for, um, what was it, 16 years at FINRA, and then in September 2014, he joined uh, one of the most prestigious uh, law firms in the country, uh, Wilmer, uh, Cutler, Pickering, Hale, and Dora, Wilmer, Wilmer Hale is basically what uh, it's called, Um, and his focus was on large and medium-sized brokers. Um, looking at their Wikipedia page, their clients have included the who's who, Goldman, J.P. Morgan, UBS, you know, Morgan Stanley, Citi. I found it interesting that he worked there for about a year and a half before jumping back over. Um, so he was there from October 2012, I think, and then he joined the SEC in February 2014. So basically you know, a couple of years there, a little over a year and a half there. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder what kind of expertise. I, I just thought it was kind of odd that you know he was a regular for many, many years, jumps for a little bit to a law practice and one of the more prestigious law practices, and now is back with the SEC again. I'd I'd be interested to talk with him about what drove him back. But if there's anybody that can give a sorry not sorry kind of answer, it's him. He's worked at the law firms. He's represented some of these uh, some of these firms, which I'm sure he's had to probably rec- recuse himself in uh, certain uh, instances. Um, so I guess those were the two main takeaways. I think that the, it's it's it goes both ways, and I said this in the
0: piece, and I've said this before, because it's the boy that cried wolf too. There could be one regulation, one new regulation. Every decade that is passed by the SEC for sure, for sure. and all of the firms would complain and say, It's too much, it's too much, we can't do it, we have too much stress. But it really does seem like it's just to con- you know, it's it's uh, to use a gory reference, it's seven. It's the first person that dies in seven, it's the overeater. It's just being locked down in a chair and being force fed all yeah, these regulations. And you know, at the, you know, at one point where he says, um, you know, he talks about how we're sensitive on an individual basis to the burdens of the newer Requirements we're putting on people, we try to be sensitive to the collective impact um, of everything we're doing. That's a little harder to accomplish. Well, that's not maybe exactly what you want to hear with someone that's running the you know the federal a federal regulator. Like you do kind of want to make sure you understand the collective impact because. Yeah, I understand you have to get your mandate done. And you have to get it off your desk, but by forcing it on these people, it's just they're going to turn around and say we can't do it. And you know, it's one of those things where if enough people say they can't do it, enough people throw their hands up in the air, then it just gets deadlocked and you have things, you know, like with Mifid 2 where it keeps getting pushed back or with, you know, to a, a lesser extent where you have well, the And like
1: and like the Davis Polk thing that, you know, they're not even there are so many rules that they have that they were supposed to have proposed that they still have got, not met those deadlines.
0: It's just, it seems, it, it just, it's, you know, stood out to me. Um, I, I don't know. I, I was, I, I just feel like they need to do a little bit better job of trying to space things out. And basically, he said to a point that they're not going to be able to. Nothing's going to change, um, you know. But, you know, I don't see, I don't see that we're going to be able to space any more than we can space already. That's what Lou Burrell said, you know, direct quote. So, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it was, it was very... Very interesting um, perspective from him at SIFM Ops that I thought was was worth bringing up. So we'll see. But, you know, case in point, you know, it's not going to change, folks. They're going to keep coming down the pipeline. Nothing is going to change. Speaking of change... One thing, one space that is changing rapidly that we have discussed before, but it's always worth discussing again, is the
1: fixed income space. My God, that transition, the brilliance of that transition. That's
0: why you pay me the big bucks, Tony. That's why you pay me the big bucks. Uh, But, you know, Anthony's done a great job of covering this, you know, whether it's new platforms or different stuff in the space. And it is a very, very interesting, you know, rapidly evolving space. I believe in your, you know, he wrote an opinion piece on it this week and, you said that you know someone at has basically compared it to the electronification of the uh, was the equities market two decades ago it's you know it's exciting times right now for fixed income what are your biggest takeaways right now in the fixed income space Anthony
1: well yeah you know, for me what I thought was just interesting was I was putting together the buy side technology the weekly alert that we you know, ship but supposed to go on Tuesday. This one got pushed back up because of a story that I was waiting to get in there um, on Bloomberg. But uh, so it went uh, early Wednesday, but it usually goes on Tuesday. Anyway, going through it, and I just kind of started laughing to myself because I'm like, oh, man, there are so many stories here on fixed income. So basically the whole buy side it, it would seem is folks on fixed income with um, Bloomberg trade book. And their uh, ETF growth, that they're mainly seeing uh, huge spikes in fixed income, fixed income ETFs, uh, which I wrote a feature about, uh, and it's that's certainly an interesting space. You have an electronic trading platform. We get an update. Uh, Previously, we had an update with TrueMid. Decided to reach out to Electronify, see where they're at right now, and you know they kind of laid out their vision for how they want to uh, increase uh, the active traders using their uh, platform. Uh, We had panelists at uh, Natis that were talking about the move away from single dealer platforms and moving toward all to all platforms. So, you know, I had an article up on that. Uh, there was my opinion piece looking at machine learning, how machine learning can help connect, potentially connect um, like-minded or connect bonds that are uh, very similar, uh, but not exact. So you can kind of be able to more accurately uh, find and price bonds um and then market access got an update on uh, their uh, trading volumes as well so i guess for me you know so much space is being spent talking about blockchain and rightfully so it's what people want to read you know judging by our clicks it's what people want to read um things like uh, high frequency trading cybersecurity you know all these kind of different things are interesting there's no doubt about it um but really for my money the most interesting space right now is fixed income the most the, the real progression of using technology to create advancement and to improve a market, that is fascinating to me. Um, and, you know, with MIFID 2 coming, there's a big panic around, you know, new transparency requirements and new clearing requirements. Is there technology, potentially technology-driven solutions that will be needed in the space. Um, In addition to these electronic platforms are trying to boost liquidity in the space and, you know, companies like Algamy's uh, Honeycomb Network that tries to connect the buy side and the sell side. Interesting time. It's it's, for me, you know, so much is, is written about, you know, some of these other trendy topics, but this is the one that's going to really have a huge effect on the market for, you know, I mean, it's, it's been going on for a decade, if not more, but really, you know, for the next decade, I can see.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting space. I mean, since I've been involved with Waters and since I've been involved in financial services technology, I've always heard the liquidity issue with fixed income, the liquidity issue with fixed income. And, you know, this electronification of the space, it seems... That's something that's gonna in, improve. That that's obviously the the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues in the fixed income space. So, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I guess do you think you know? And and so a couple of people touched on, and it, it's they seem kind of wishy washy on it. Do you think the you know bringing in AI and machine learning into the fixed income space? Do you think that'll really change or be able to affect that that issue that they keep seem to keep having with the liquidity?
1: Well, right now, I think it's just more interesting as a topic, as a theory. It's not near ready for prime time yet, and especially not in fixed income. Um, there are a lot of firms that are touting their machine learning, but do they actually have uh, cognition? Do you know? Are is it more than just simple AI? Is this true machine learning techniques that are being employed? I think that it's being loosely used right now as a term. Uh, for fixed income, it there's clearly an area to be able to more easily recognize and connect like bonds, like-minded investors, connect the buy side to the sell side. That is certainly a potential um, that Electronify is going to try and use with their uh, platform as well. Uh, But right now, overall, it's more of an interesting topic than is really anything that we're going to see there for a little bit. But again, why it will be something that will be interesting a, a sector that's going to be very interesting for years to come because you're going to see it in equities first, as is true of anything, and then eventually it's going to sweep over into uh, FI.
0: Interesting, you know, you take a shot at the beginning of your your opinion piece on blockchain and those words. It's going to be, you know, potential future. It sounds very similar to the blockchain space as well. There,
1: I'm right. Well. So Victor, uh, our editor-in-chief, Victor Anderson. Uh, That's for a good point. We should,
0: we should bring that up. Yeah,
1: um, He wrote uh, a good opinion piece just um, yesterday, I think it was, Wednesday, um, just talking about the hype machine around blockchain. Um, and he's very right. He's very on And I think that you can hear a little bit of our exasperation a little bit when we talk about blockchain. We have to write about it. There are a lot of stories that are coming out about it. There are a lot of people that want to talk about it and have their name connected to it. Um, but he's got that opinion piece coming out. There's something else I'm working on that I can't, that I don't want to give too much away on right now, but basically that Ooh. is going to just, uh, forget my language, but it's going to shit on blockchain a little bit and and the actual uses that there that the hype machine around this has just gone way too far and that the act that we're not going to really see much coming out of, um, out of the blockchain space. So, yeah, you know, I I with blockchain, yes, I understand it's the future type, but. God, we so much. Can I ask you a question. Yeah, burnt fi- burnt fingers, right?
0: That's what he. Uh, that was the time. What is that a, a saying or something? What
1: is I've that? Been a working, South African or, or I've been British? working with Victor now for. Uh, let's see here. He came. I think it was around February 2010. So what are we talking about? Six years now. He has so many different sayings and stuff like that that I'm not a hundred percent sure of. So I'm not. I haven't. I haven't talked to him yet since he I'd posted say, that. I'd say. I'd
0: say Victor let us know, but I'd say there's what a two percent chance he's actually listening to this podcast. <laughs> 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 um, but to Tony's credit, that is, it is a really good piece that Victor wrote, and uh, it really calls out a lot of the issues. I think the biggest thing is, I think that there are. A small number of people that are leading a big movement, and the people that are following don't know enough about it, but the small number of people leading it at least pretend like they know what they're talking about and use a lot of words in the right spaces, and it makes them feel like, okay, yeah, this seems like it'd be a good idea, without a lot of people diving into the actual technology.
1: It seems to me that there are a lot of smart people that are just like creating this hype machine and it's like a uh, fry in futurama it's like shut up and take my money and they're just gonna throw money at <laughs> yeah, me, you know
0: yeah and the the a point you know i'm gonna i'm actually gonna do a story on i'm planning on doing shocker a story on blockchain as well talking to someone on the buy side about the impact on the buy side and this one person basically told me he said you know for what it's worth you know blockchain it might not be a decade till we see industry-wide adoption he goes and to be honest who's to say that there isn't going to be another technology by then that's going to take over blockchain you know the he said what's for sure is the space is going to be disrupted and changed but we don't necessarily know if blockchain technology is that technology that's going to disrupt it
1: and there's a consultancy just recently put out a report just saying that the infrastructure already exists like if you're going to use this for straight through processing if you're going to use this for clearing the infrastructure is actually there just use the infrastructure better you don't have to go to this whole new uh the, the saying that uh Blockchain is a solution looking for a problem. It's very true. You <laughs> know, We have problems that you can solve without using avenues, just rather than throw a magical word of blockchain at it. So,
0: yeah. Well, whatever. We're both sick of talking about blockchain, so that's enough blockchain. Uh, On to something that we both enjoy. Kentucky Derby was Saturday. Uh, I uh, indulged myself in some gambling throughout the day. I got involved in the undercard as well as the main event.
1: That's, that's yeah. heavy gambling right there. Yeah, yeah,
0: the- yeah. Didn't end up, I think overall for all when it was all said and done, I think I was down about (laughs) four dollars. That's a good day. That's a
1: good day of gambling, then when you can at least break even, basically.
0: As someone that frequents, uh, when my sister lives upstate in Albany, as someone that frequents Saratoga as much as I can, you know, for the six weeks it's open, if you can come out even or down a few dollars, you know, after a heavy day of gambling, you know, on the seven or eight races on the card,
1: that's a that's a win. Well, let me tell you so. Uh, my girlfriend, she's very, uh, frugal, you know, so she'll be like, you know, so I end up spending about $120 on the Derby and I didn't bet on any of the undercards because I just wanted to use all my money just for the Derby because, you know, for the long shots come out, I want to make sure I have my money on it, yada, 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 hit it big or go home, you yeah? But so she asked me like, how can you spend a hundred dollars on it? I go, Honey. You know, me and you, we went to a play recently where each of the tickets cost me about $75. It was $150 for us to go out. It was a lovely experience. Fantastic. This is my form of entertainment. Okay? You know, and honestly, I can actually get some money back out of my form of entertainment. As opposed to the the plays and the shows that we go to where, you know, once those memories are gone, they're just gone. You know? Um, So So, true. (laughs) So true. And you know what?
0: It's... It's uh, and maybe this is completely wrong, but in my warped mind, it's the best odds you can get. Get like Nyquist was the favorite. Nyquist was three to one odds, right? Tonight, if I want to bet on the OKC Spurs game, whoever the favorite is, I think now if, the Spurs are. If it Spurs was legal are, to do that kind of gambling, in it New was York legal State. to do that type of gambling. If I wanted to. The Spurs are going to be minus 130, minus one. one. I'm never going to get that good of odds on the favorite. So for your, now now it's going to change now come the Preakness because Nyquist will be the favorite and he'll probably, you know, you'll have to spend money on the VIG, but
1: still. This, this race is unique in that regard that, you know, yeah, the favorite, you know, rarely goes off. Like he, Nyquist was a huge favorite. He ended up going off at two to one. He was three to one morning line, two to one by race time. It was a it was a rare race where you get the favorite and then the second favorite coming in one two with Exaggerator almost clipping them down down the stretch there. Exaggerator was coming off at five to one, but uh, if you look at it, it's the Belmont since uh, from 1980 to 1999, not a single uh, favorite morning line favorite uh, hit. Um, So a spectacular bid in 79 and Fusiachi Pegasus in 2000 broke that. Um, But then you look since 2000, it's actually happened seven times with uh, Pegasus, uh, Big Brown, Smarty Jones, Street Sense, um, California Chrome, uh, American Pharaoh, and Nyquist. So it is becoming a little bit more. It happens a little bit more. And this is three years in a row now that the favorite is one. With that being said, there's still a good chance that a non-favorite is going to come in. And because there are so many horses the the difference so Nyquist was the favorite at two to one but and he had Exaggerator five to, one. five to one is very good odds but then everybody else after that was ten to one if not you know fifty. It's you know, it was, yeah, it was, yeah it goes on down the line so uh, yeah it was uh, it's it's definitely a fun race to bet on because you can hit some I've, there are uh, there are a couple that I've hit in my life that uh, that were uh, vacation paying hits yeah
0: can this horse win the Triple Crown
1: um, I. Well, you know, I, I didn't give him the credit he deserved uh, going into this race, um, but to be fair, there are a couple things to remember. Uh, it just rained, uh, so the track was a little bit off. Uh, it was a slow uh, derby. Was, uh, the the bear score was uh, 103, which is tied for the fourth slowest since 2000. Uh, American Fowler, had a 105. The average Bayer uh, for the winner is usually about a 108. Um, and... The, the thing I worry about, I think he definitely wins the Preakness. Um, I think that if I own Exaggerator, I hold him out of the Preakness and bring him back for Belmont. Spoil sport. Yeah, exactly. Just I, I could really see. I don't think that he looked like. Nyquist looked like a horse that was you know just about done there at the line. Um, and he's going to have to race another hard one in the Preakness. A bunch of horses are going to take off like... Um, Lani, the Japanese horse, which is a distance horse. That horse has got to be lined up right now for the Belmont, which is a mile and a half as opposed to a mile and a quarter. So my money would say no. I don't think that we're going to get a triple crown winner uh, this year. we at least year. get it
0: exciting. We'll, we'll at least win the Preakness. Because if they lose oh, the Preakness, yeah. then the Belmont then, is just then, yeah,
1: then it's just a nothing race anyway. Um, but yeah, uh, I do think that he wins the Preakness. I, absolutely. Um, right now, he's put in top form. Uh, he didn't have to extend himself that much in this race. Uh, like I said, you know, he, he seemed to have an easy trip. Jumped right to the front. Got right on, you know, second place, you know, just around turn, stayed out of the dirt, didn't have to slog through it, stayed on the rail. Which
0: does that really matter, though, when it's,
1: there's so much time in between races. If he had to run a hard, like, the fact that Exaggerator would sit out the Preakness and then run the Belmont. Well, this is completely unprecedented for for this kind of a a thoroughbred, is that it's two weeks later and you're back at it again. Normally, you have off a good month, you know, before you're racing again, so it's going to be a very quick turnaround for him think that is back. a quick turnaround for horses. I don't oh, know. Yeah. yeah, it is. Very yeah, very, Okay. Very, two two weeks for right. that kind of a horse, yeah.
0: Quick. So, transitioning now to the other big event. We talked about this last week, but it, there's always that big boxing match and uh Canelo Khan, just a quick funny aside. So, like I said, doing a lot of gambling for the Derby and then of course, you know, whether you're down or you're up, that moves quickly into uh that moves quickly into doing the uh other gambling and of course there was the warriors uh portland trailblazers uh basketball game and uh with steph curry out there were some good odds on clay thompson for threes so all the people I was watching with, all my friends decided, we're going to bet as a group, we're all going to bet that Clay Thompson hits the over. So it was three. It was four and a half threes. He hits, basically meaning we bet the over, meaning he'd have to hit five threes or more for us to win the bet. So all of us bet the over, and of course, comes out hot, hits four threes in the first quarter. We're like, this is easy money. We're looking at halftime lines. We're thinking we're just going to roll this over. Goes stale, goes quiet can't hit anything, goes all the way into the middle of the fourth quarter and then hits it. Everyone's cheering. Yeah! yeah I mean this is we're not talking life changing money this is just a little bit of money here and there but of course then everyone's blood's going well money one is so much better than money earned 100% 100% oh let's let's bet the boxing match now so you look at the boxing match well it's no fun to bet the guy that's minus 400 I think uh, I think Canelo was minus 400 or minus 330 so that's a return on investment that's you know awful in, in the gambling world well you have this other guy he's plus plus 400 if I put 100 bucks on him that's 400 bucks oh man that's that's awesome so so, of course, we all bet, and uh, initially, kind of looking, I was like, okay, I was watching the match, I was like, alright, this is looking good, he's kind of counter-punching, he's doing, and then, just on the wrong end of a very, very strong punch. a As-
1: sensational knockout, I mean, you you very rarely, it reminded me of another, uh, when Manny Pacquiao knocked out uh, Ricky oh, Hatton, the white guy. and he yeah, just yeah. looked uh, dead in the ring, you know, and another Englishman, too, which makes that kind of funny, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, the fight went the way... You know, everybody kind of really expected that Khan has all the tools to uh, be able to outbox uh, Canelo in theory to be he's got incredibly good hand speed and footwork um, and he was doing a very good job. But you really saw something change around the fourth round. It really the fourth and fifth rounds were kind of like me and my friends were sitting there. Me and my buddy as uh, kid Brendan, uh, he's, you know, box expert uh, as well. And we was like, this is the, the the tide is turning quickly here, and then for some reason, Khan it looked like he was trying to jump in with a left hook the way Mayweather likes to do those lead left hooks, and he wasn't that quick on it, and Canelo just absolutely decapitated him. And That's why you got to love this sport, man. When you watch a knockout like that, oh god, man, I was I couldn't go to sleep till like three, four in the morning because I was just so amped up.
0: You Know that he'll never be the same, and it's the early onset of CTE. And oh <laughs> no, I mean,
1: yeah, no, and but this was. This for him was basically the, his career had already kind of, you know, it was a good career, but never great. 28, career. I thought, though. Only 28, but had he's had some brutal knockouts in his career. Um, and he just, he doesn't really seem to take a punch. That punch would have knocked out anybody, but, you know, so you can't blame his chin on that. Uh, but this was his, I'm going to grab at the gold and take a big risk. You know, he's a huge underdog, obviously. Take a big risk, but I have the boxing ability. I can do this. And it worked for five and a half rounds. Got paid. <laughs> hey, check still clear. Yes, the check will still clear. So the the next obvious question
0: for this is: Will we see the much talked about Canelo GGG triple G fight? Just to give those for those of you unfamiliar, because I didn't really know anything. I'm not a big boxing guy. I didn't know anything about triple G. This was a guy that you know a lot of people said uh, Mayweather basically you know, ducked, didn't want to fight him later on in Mayweather's career. Uh, do yourself a favor. Go on YouTube, search Triple G Highlights. I watched one the other night. Um, it showed a couple. I saw one where the, they threw in the towel on the guy he was fighting. I saw another one where he knocked out. It was a shorter, stronger black guy. You might know who, who he was. I don't know who it was. Uh, the look on the guy's face when he got knocked out was just like, what? What just happened? I
1: mean, the guy's a mom, I don't, where Where is he? Where's he from? Kazakhstan. Stan. Yeah, okay, he's an outstanding amateur. He's old, um, so he's got to really kind of cash in now. That's why he's looking to get these big fights. Um, you know, is still a young kid. Um, you know, comparatively, uh, I in boxing these things never seem to really work out. They take forever to put together. But because of Triple G's age, I think his, he just believes that he's is hold a tri- god. How old is Triple G? He's in his 30s somewhere I, he's I undefeated right oh yeah yeah
0: he's undefeated. I think his his record is something like what is it it's like 20 28 wins, 26 by knockout um I mean the guys
1: the guy's a monster so yeah, he's 34 years old so he's up there right now. Uh, okay so to that point how quickly would they hypothetically they could fight in the fall, right? Yeah, I mean, ideally, if, if it was to happen, uh, your October time frame is a great time to sell a fight. You know, September, October is a really great time. Or I'll send some people like that, that first week of December when you're st- still not quite thinking about you're thinking about Christmas, but you're still willing to spend $70 on a big fight. Um, but yeah, so ideally it would happen in the fall. Um, you know, it's there's a lot of talk about it. I I don't think it's going to happen this year, but I, you know, and Canelo is a smaller guy. I think that he's a little bit worried. But Chipotle is also the right guy for Canelo to fight. He sh- Canelo shouldn't be fighting slick fighters. He should be fighting, you know, guys that he's not going to have to look for. Um, and so uh, there's hope. I hope that will happen. But too often in this sport, you know, you have to wait forever for it to happen.
0: Since both these guys are, if I'm right, correct to saying, I believe I'm correct to saying that they're both knockout guys. Oh, yeah is this going to be similar to like a a Mickey
1: Ward and uh no because you, know. you can't hit you know with the way that these guys crack you're not going to I mean Canelo is a little bit more of a volume you know he he'll knock you out but he'll take his time to get there Triple G is the kind of guy. He puts the right glove on you. You go to sleep. Could we see a simultaneous knockout?
0: Has that ever happened? Could we see it like in the movies where they both hit each other at the exact same yeah. time and then knock each other it out? It has
1: happened in the sport. About like you see some like uh, great. There's some great MMA ones actually that have happened where two guys hit each other and they get knocked out. Uh no I wouldn't put my money on that but hey let's see what the odds imagine are Imagine the odds oh
0: imagine talking about great odds imagine the odds on that Um I know we're running long real quick I want to tell you a funny story about Sifma uh that I that I, for, I forgot to tell you So at Sifma Ops I'm there and of course at all these things they have the golfing the you know yeah. you know I've hit the farthest So there's a whole crowd over there this is when everyone's getting drinks after the first day So I walk over there and I'm standing there and uh, there's a really tall really really good looking guy standing right next to me like i'm not talking like oh yeah no this guy like stands out at how good looking he is i'm gushing about this guy but you'll understand (laughs) no shockingly no that'd be a great story so whatever he goes and does his thing i look at his name tag and he's uh talisi's their big data vendor arm i probably pronounced it wrong i apologize Whatever. So I put it out of my mind because I don't think about good-looking men I see all the time randomly at tech conferences. Just me, Dan. Just me. Just Anthony and his beautiful beard. The next day, I'm sitting in the conference and uh, I get a text message from my girlfriend that uh, says, oh my God, you'll never believe this. Uh, The Bachelor couple is in Miami Beach. And I go, oh, wow. That's cool, I guess. I don't know. I'm like, what are the chances of that? And then I kind of pause, and good-looking tall man floats back into the front of my brain. And I say, Sam, show me a picture of this guy, who I don't even know who his name is. So Sam sends me a picture, and sure enough, it's this guy, Ben, who was The Bachelor, and he's a software (laughs) salesman, I guess, for this company, and he's at this conference, and he also happens to be The Bachelor. So I tell my girlfriend, and of course, she freaks out, like goes insane, tells me I need to take a picture with him, tells me I need to go up to him and talk to him, which, no, I did not, okay, because I'm sure this, guy, although, I don't know how many people, I don't know what the crossover. I don't know that a
1: SIFMA Ops conference is the prime place for The Bachelor to really kind of get, Well, so, so, why this big data company <laughs> thought, this is going to be our hook this well, year. Well, no, no, so he works for them he works for yes them? so he
0: works for them <laughs> he's not no 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 no. so he's not he wasn't like oh come meet the bachelor no no no. no. this is his job and he also hap- he's a software salesman and he also happens to be the bachelor that and he was attending fantastic. the conference as a salesman and he also happened to be the bachelor wouldn't you wouldn't know it no one came up to him and took pictures because i think the demographic for the bachelor is not the same demographic at sifma ops um but yeah, Ben, if you're listening to this, uh, my girlfriend wanted me to take a picture with you. I didn't, though. I wanted to respect you as uh, a salesman of a software company, but uh, just know you have you have some fans out there. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a little bit of the talk of the town amongst some people I spoke to at lunch. So that's my funny Sifma bachelor story. Much
1: better than any celebrities that I met when I went to FIA Boca. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So keep an eye out. uh, And if you're interested in, well, no, I'm not going to promote their software just because, but if you want to talk to Ben, the bachelor, give him a call up and pretend like you want to buy their software and you can have a conversation with them. Uh, Speaking of promoting stuff, uh, the waters rankings voting is actually is officially open. Now there's 30 categories under five different headings, trading services, trading tools, data management, compliance, risk management, and the back office and infrastructure and connectivity Uh, closing uh, voting closes Friday, June 3rd at 1159 p.m. We didn't stipulate. Is that Eastern Standard Time or is that British time? Eastern. That's Eastern time. So June 3rd, 1159. So right before June 4th, uh, Eastern Standard Time. do not, If you're going to vote, do not use your personal emails. If you're a vendor or a PR, do not vote because we will delete your vote. Your vote does not matter. All votes are not equal. You need to be an end user and you need to use your work email or else we will not count your vote because we don't care. You know what
1: I think we should do, especially for the PR firms? I think that we should just say, if I see your name come up in that voting... I'll never talk to you or one of your clients again. (laughs) Or we'll put you on blast on our podcast. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so
0: vote if you're an end user. If not, stay the hell away from it. Uh, The awards will be announced at a luncheon July 14th uh, in New York. Other than that, uh, just... Quick news, I already said it before, we have a, uh, a special guest coming up next week, the first of what we hope will be many special guests uh, every week. If you are someone listening and you're interested in talking to us, you think you'd be, make a good guest, let us know. Our contact details are in the podcast. Reach out to us. But we're really excited about the first one, which will be live, knock on wood, uh, next week. And uh, I think he'll be really great. I think he'll have a lot of interesting topics to, to talk about. That's all I have. Anthony, do you have anything else to add? Got nothing. Well, listen. Thanks so much for listening in. As always, we appreciate your support. And uh, until next time, we'll uh, we'll catch you back here next Thursday.